Hey listeners, this is Brian, co-host of Nerds on History and Nerds on Film. I want to talk to you for a second. If you like the content you've been hearing on our shows, please, by all means, go to nerdonomy.com right now and click on the merch link. That will take you to our own built-in store where you can go and buy t-shirts made from content on the shows as well as original content. All of our shirts are made in the U.S. so you can actually show your pride for the nerds and be ethical at the same time. Do it. Do it now, please. Thank you. Check one. Check. 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 Brian. Yeah. What the hell are we doing? I have no idea. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickmont. Hey, Brian. Yes, sir. What's coming up in just a day from the time that our, uh, our wonderful listeners are going to be hearing this podcast? Oh, well, I'm sure everyone knows it's the preemptive start of the Christmas shopping season. I was kind of thinking of the presidential election. Oh, that. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> One of our more interesting rituals that we have in this country, right? We elect our president every four years, and this is going to be a very interesting election. And yeah. one, one of the things that we want to establish right away is that Nerds on History is a history podcast. We're not a politics podcast, so right. we are going to be apolitical. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone is welcome to have their opinions and their beliefs, and we respect them all. And you know what? We have our own, but we're going to keep them our own, and we're just going to focus more on the history surrounding the events Focusing yes. on the presidency and all sorts of amazing things associated with, associated with presidents. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, Eric, how are you planning to vote this year? I've already voted. Ah, voted you have. via mail. Voted as via I mail. have done every year since I could vote, minus the 2004 election, which was my first election that I voted in. I went to the ballot box, which I literally was in a box. You were in a booth, yeah. I was in a booth. And I had um, a very high-tech system of a ballot and a pencil. And I drew a line from one to uh, one side to the other, and that's how I voted. Gotcha. I actually just faxed in my application to vote by mail today as well. You faxed it in? Faxed it in, yeah. So we, for those who haven't figured it out already, we're based out of Northern California. Um, well, I'll even go as far as to say we're in Santa Clara County. We sure are. In fact, yeah. you know what? I'm going to take it a step further. We are in San Jose, California. San Jose, California, the 10th largest city in the United States, by the way, for those who don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the capital of Silicon Valley and th the tech world. So yeah. not known for much else other than that, unfortunately. It used to be called the Valley of Heart's Delight. It was. Back when, when it was we, all orchards. Exactly. Yeah. But you know. Anyway, we are that's another podcast. to tangent, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Voting, yes. Yes. So the county of Santa Clara allows you to submit your application by either post office box, traditional mail, of course. Right. Which or, is what I or, did. or by fax. Considering today was the deadline, I needed to do it by fax because otherwise, because they actually have to have it in their possession by by the today in order for you to get your ballot. Time. I don't believe that's true. I believe it has to be in the mail today because I put mine in the mailbox today along with the rest of my. Well, families. the ballot is okay. I haven't even. I'm, I'm applying to get my ballot. That's the. Oh, I apologize. So yeah. you. Oh wow. So are they going to fax you back? No. A ballot. So, so or no, how does that work? Well, 
because I'm in the county, pretty much all mail can be transferred within a day or two. So, so they're you're going to get it in the mail and you will still have time to mail it in? Correct. So the cool thing about voting by mail in California is the state law dictates, according to the Secretary of State, the Registrar of Voters has dictated that on Election Day, voting by mail ballots are counted side by side with the ballots that were casted in the normal polls. Hmm. So there is the whole idea of absentee voting and right. the, the in some states how it's only used in the terms of if there's a close election right. doesn't apply in California. Your vote is as good as anything. And that really got me thinking because a vote shouldn't be provisional. We are in a democracy. Right. And without getting political toward a certain party, just going to the, the I think something that we can all agree on that it shouldn't matter that you had to go to your own district necessarily. Your vote should count, period. Yeah. And it's that and I think that's one of the exceptions to the rule in California is if you don't vote within your district, your ballot is considered provisional and then it may not be counted until such a time where they need to count additional ballots. And that's pretty ridiculous because actually I was just speaking to somebody about this today. Yeah. And they were telling me that uh, they recently moved to the area. They weren't even sure where they were supposed to vote. All they knew knew is that they could and they received their ballot. And that's just the ballot, problem. But that's right? all they had. Right. And they had absolutely no idea where, you know, they were supposed to go. And this person actually lives in my neighborhood, not too far away from me. So I'm assuming they would go to the usual place that I would go to, but uh She's going to have to check into it just to yeah. see where she can go to have her vote. And the reason why this is such a problem is because there are systems in place that were designed to originally prevent voter fraud, right? Voting more than once and, you know, stuffing the ballot boxes and all that stuff. And, of course, everybody's name in that area is tracked. And if you go to another polling place, your one of your votes is just immediately disregarded, basically. It's really unfortunate because we, we're living in an age, the irony is we're living in a part of the world that is the most technologically advanced and yet we are using these very antiquated systems. We had the electronic voting for one election. Yeah. And it was so contentious that we decided to do away with it. We Which stepped honestly, backwards. I don't know. I, I think it kind of makes sense, to be totally honest. I'm, I'm all for the integration of modern technology. I'm all for that. But when it comes to something as important as electing a leader for our country, making sure that there's no variables, nothing can go wrong, nothing can go corrupt, get corrupted within software, nothing can be used to right. manipulate someone else's vote. And right. when it comes down to it, a piece of paper and a writing implement like I had back in 2004, I trust that more. I feel more safe and secure with that than I do with yeah. electronic voting, to be totally honest. And I think it's one of those things where it will be an issue that we will be contending for a long time because paper and pen have been the medium for thousands of years. We've never had to deal with an electronic device before. So yeah. um, there's going to be a lot of deep insecurity, I think, with that amongst lots of people, both tech savvy and not. And this begs the question of, well... What's our process like? The presidential election is so unique because yeah. it is the only election in our country. It's the only national, it's the only elected office we have in the country that is not directly voted by the people. That's right. The popular vote is only one element to it all. Right. The electoral college is another whole other thing. So if that's the case, Brian, then exactly what is the whole concept and idea behind the electoral college? Why does it exist? Well, it comes back to the founding fathers when they were framing the Constitution for the country, there was a lot of contention over whether a direct democracy was a good thing, especially for, for electing the leader of the country. There was this conception that because there were so many people in the, in the country who couldn't read, you know, were not informed, educated people, that their decision being the outcome of an election when they could be swayed very easily yeah. by propaganda and by, you know, just shady promoting they really felt that that posed a threat to the essence of what they were trying to build, which was a free nation. Right. So 
the idea of the electoral process was there for one to give less of a weight to popular vote uh also with states that had smaller populations and every member in the electoral college uh is equal to number of the number of representatives we have in congress and senators in congress okay plus three because um according to the 25th amendment i believe the one that basically whatever whichever the amendment was it was the amendment that gave voting rights to the people in district of columbia they were given three electors whereas for many years people who lived in washington dc couldn't vote oh really Odd, That's right pretty ironic considering yeah. it's the capital the hub of, of, of democracy <laughs> people who live there who are not in office can't vote huh okay i think i think what they would do is they would go to maryland oh uh, right. that to makes vote. sense they register elsewhere and then they would uh just go into the to somewhere nearby i think vote. well no if there's anyone out there from maryland let's uh tweet that to us we'd love yeah. to hear or the, virginia for that matter i mean or there's, virginia there's, right there's very close several places right near dc if you're from DC uh, and you were alive at that time, which you probably wouldn't have been, <laughs> send us a message from beyond yeah. the grave. Yeah. Well, the so interestingly, no, that that amendment wasn't until the 20th century. It wasn't until mid 20th century. Okay. So I guess you're you're still kicking it. Yeah. Uh, it's let very us know possible. How, how you did it back then? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, or if you could, or were you in that weird little crack in the system where you had no voting rights and you yeah. were a U.S. citizen? So in other yeah. words, it, it's designed to be a, a system of balance to make sure that the smaller states don't really get left out and their vote gets heard. Right. But it doesn't always work out that way, yeah. does it? It doesn't always work out that way at all. And in fact, so just to really set this in place, look at a state like Wyoming. In population, Wyoming is very, very small. I think they only have one uh, representative in Congress. Yeah. So their congressman is actually more powerful than their senators are because they have more <laughs> weight. And so, you know, if you pair them against a state like California, which is the most populous state, yeah, who, because the election is broken down by each state, it's not one national election. It's every state has their own election for president, and then they are accumulated together. Because of that principle alone, you have the the risk of all the more dense states like Texas and California going through and plowing through the other states and uh, them making feel like their their votes just don't count anymore, right. right? Because they're just, they're so outnumbered. And that's why the electoral process is still defended uh, to this day by some states or by some people. But in my opinion, I mean, the, the popular vote, regardless of where you live in the country, is going to be counted and it's going to be counted towards who gets to be president, right? Yes. So even if it's, you know, right to the wire, you know, not unlike the 2000 election, right, where there we were, you know, there was recounting of ballots and there was uncertainty for, you know, a couple of days as to who was actually the winner. You know, there were people who declared one winner first and then there were a few folks who declared another. Yeah. Those votes would still count. And we could say, you know, hey, we counted all the votes of the most, most populous states down to the least populous states. Uh, here's what it looks like with California and Texas and New York reporting. Okay, now we're getting into the smaller states with, with smaller populations. Now we're coming down yeah. to the wire. And you still give them that respect because now you're pointing out, hey, thanks to Wyoming, we know who is the winner of this presidency yeah. because of the popular vote. Well, there's other factors that come into play, too, because that's the essentials. The other essentials are that the electors are chosen by member, members of the political parties in those areas. So it all comes down to the whole the idea of apportionment, right? Okay. okay. Districts and what candidates are likely to be in which parties in this area. So it, it becomes very convoluted at that point. And then each governor of each state chooses the electors based on that process. The electors agree to meet after the popular votes have been cast. And to be fair, in the majority of the states in this country, there are laws in place that say that the electoral votes must go based on the popular vote of every state. 
though with the exception, I believe, of Maine and what's the other state? Shoot, I just had it. But there are two states where they actually they can do proportional, hmm. uh, proportional electoral votes. But other than that, everything is it's usually usually winner take all in, right. in every other state. So um, and then in the, in the majority, like I said, they all have to go to whoever won the popular vote in that state. But there have been presidents who have won the popular vote, but who have not been elected. Correct. And it has actually president. happened four times. So I'm referencing an article from factcheck.org. If you guys don't know what factcheck is, they are a terrific website. They are a project of the Annenberg Public Policy Center. Walter Annenberg was a uh, media professional, uh, and he his whole organization is dedicated to truth in media, which is awesome. And they are apolitical. They do not take political stances. Great. They have criticized both parties, both candidates. And they both deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> and so this article is coming from them, and they fact-check everything. So I, I trust them uh, well, it's kind of in the name. If they didn't, then I'd be a little disappointed. Yeah, but I did some background work on the, on <laughs> I know. the organization itself. And Anyone they can call themselves fact-check.org yeah. and then do the opposite. Exactly. So the first time it took place mm-hmm. was in 1824 with John Quincy Adams. Right. Now, he had quite a controversial presidency he, due yeah, to Because he wasn't sure because he technically didn't win either vote, <laughs> but he became right. president. So, um, there were some suggestions that it was a matter of corruption that actually got him in the office, that he was buying votes. And that's what haunted him for the rest of his presidency, yeah. eventually prevented him from being reelected. And quite sad, too, because he was also the first president who was elected, who was the son of a previous president. The second president, uh, John Adams. The, uh, Correct. John Quincy Adams. Was John Quincy, his, uh, exactly. Yes, indeed. Uh, so let me go into a little more details of that. I'm going to read from this page real quick. So, yes, he was elected president despite not winning either the popular vote or the electoral vote. Andrew Jackson was actually the winner in both categories. He received 38,000 more popular votes than Adams and beat him 99 to 84. But despite his victories, Jackson didn't reach the majority of 131 votes needed by the Electoral College to win. Dun, dun, dun. So he didn't reach the proportion that you needed to win. And he would uh, four years later, because he would actually yeah. beat John Quincy Adams and become yeah. our seventh president. For those who don't know, what happens when we have a hung electoral college, the House of Representatives elects the president and the Senate elects the vice president. They decide. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So there's like, well, we can't figure it out. The people can't figure it out. So fine. We're going to decide. We're going to cast a vote and we're going to elect the president. Now, given the political leanings in the House... Right now, the House is largely Republican. Yeah. So say, let's say, for example, today. It happened tomorrow. It happened tomorrow, right? If it got so close, and actually Jimmy Kimmel re- referenced this earlier this week. If it got so close that um, the Electoral College nor the popular vote could decide the winner, it's more than likely that Romney would become president, but mm-hmm. Biden would be vice president. because. Oh, now that would be... That'd be hilarious, Quite a hilarious right. matchup, and that's what and that's what and that's what Kimmel said too. This is a sitcom. They should move into an apartment together. <laughs> Mitten, Mitten oh, Joe, Mitten Joe. Yep. <laughs> On TLC, Biden, uh, my time. <laughs> that's what, that's what, <laughs> is that what Kimmel said? <laughs> no, I just made that oh, up. Oh, that's one. great. I love so, it. <laughs> yay for oh, improv. Um, good times. So yeah, so that was the first time where we had a questionable president. Okay, this, how about the second time? In 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes, aside from having the longest beard of any president, (laughs) this was probably the closest election in history because he won by one electoral vote. Wow. One. And he lost the popular vote by more than 250,000 ballots to Samuel J. Tilton. Really close. John Adams actually was pretty close, too. He only won by three electoral votes. Right. Over over Jefferson. Over Jefferson, right. In 1888, Benjamin Harrison 
grandson of President William Harrison, by the way. Which we will talk about later. <laughs> Absolutely. He received 233 electoral votes to Grover Cleveland's 168, but he lost the popular vote by more than 250, oh, uh, by uh, more than 90,000. Also interesting side note on that, that Grover Cleveland would follow him in becoming the next president. Yeah. Grover Cleveland is both our 22nd and 24th president. I love that. Which is so funny because technically Barack Obama is our 43rd person to be president. But he's our, but 40, he's our 44th, 44th president. president. Yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense, right? Because the, the office of the president yeah. uh, is what we're recording, not the actual person. Right? right. It's the office of president. So Grover Cleveland, who was then lost his election to William right. McKinley. And of course, he's the only president to serve two terms non-consecutively. Right. Yeah. Would later come back and he would win the vote again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, clearly it was a debated election, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the people wanted Cleveland anyway. Yeah. Um, and then it didn't happen again until 2000. So very, 112 years. Very famous election. Where there was no problems. Wow. In the system. And of course, George W. Bush, as we all know, uh, president. Yeah. was... He, now, now, here's the interesting thing. Just looking at the margins, though, is kind of interesting because Gore won by 540,000 popular votes. Which is close, but, you know, it's still pretty pretty yeah. sizable gain over, over George Bush. Now, Hillary. here's the thing that I have to mention. In the election, the governor of each state declares the winner of the of the electoral votes. Oh, I wonder who was governor of Florida. Yeah, and that is why that election is so, again, not with taking sides. Yeah. You can't not look at the fact that Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida and his brother was running for president and not get suspicious. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a conflict of interest there and no one can deny that. And you know what? It is what it is. It happened. It's It's in the past. And there you go. And the thing I found interesting is that was the only time in our history that the presidential election was decided by the Supreme Court. Yeah. We didn't let it get to the House of Representatives like we were supposed to. We, We let it go into a whole other... Area. Well, that's what happens when 112 years passes and you don't have any precedents for it anymore. You know? Right, exactly. It's, it's so, in, right, in the early 18th or early 19th century, this system was still new. So, they're like, okay, we get to try this out. Let's do this. Yeah. You know? Well, that's interesting. You know, I mean, obviously, there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides. And for whatever reason, I think that voting for our, for our elected officials, no matter how we're doing it, is still important. And we need to do it. And we need to, I mean, this is just my opinion. So obviously everyone out there needs to, to decide their own way and do what, they're, what they want to do. But if you're registered to vote, you know, I, I really feel it's a true disservice to the country to not use that right, to not use that freedom that's been given to us. We make our country. We make who we are as a, as a nation to the rest of the world. And it's important that we decide, uh, everybody, who's going who's gonna to represent us and lead us. And, uh, you know, I have voted every year since mm-hmm. I was able to vote. And I, I'm not going to be so bold as to go out there and tell people what to do. I'm just going to say, if you feel that the uh, that the leadership of this country is important and you want to have your voice heard, voting is the way to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a pretty balanced statement to make. And I agree that if you are of age, that's our primary right. No, it's not even right. right. It's Because right implies that it was earned. This didn't need earning. This is a liberty. Yeah. You know, it's a civil liberty that we it's get an to... undeniable truth. Undeniable truth that we get to choose who our leaders are. And yes, I also agree that you have the right to have an opinion uh, that you don't feel your vote counts or that you, you choose to abstain because you don't like any of the choices. 
so it's really it is that tough but you know what the, the presidential election is only one election being held and there's a lot of other elections that go on within local counties and and uh that are very important to their uh, management in the way that they're being yeah. run and you know you can abstain from voting for one item on your ballot you don't have to completely fill out the ballot for it to be valid i don't believe i think that you Correct. you know you can you can abstain from making a vote so if you don't want to vote for you know one of the candidates for president fine but you know look at your local uh, propositions that are being passed and you know the local congressmen yeah. or women who are going to be deciding the the fate of what's going on in your own community those are important too at the very least look at your sample ballot and you know, see yeah. what's on there. And this is a big election because the general elections are always big because it's a lot of stuff is being done. You know, the entire House, of course, gets reelected every two years. I think one of our senators in California, Diane Feinstein's up for reelection. She is. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well. And there's a lot of propositions in California, some major ones, because California yeah. is going through such a hell of a time with the budget right now. Yeah, I know. And I mean, we're not the only state that's going through that at all. Um, a lot of poor teachers who are going to be in a real poor state if, uh, well, anyway, yeah, again, well, like I said, we're not going to go political on this. No, but. no, no, but there's there's a lot of, of, of issues here. And yeah. propositions are not, by the way, just to, to take a small tangent, I'm sorry, propositions are not provisioned in any constitution, even the California's, even in the state constitutions. It's something we just got the idea of starting to do. Right. What a cool idea. That we get to popularly decide on laws. Yeah. We, we have to make up our own, essentially, and yeah. then decide whether or not they're good. Yeah. We haven't seen that type of democracy since Athens. Yeah. And that's really cool. And I agree. Even though you may not feel like your vote matters for the, the national uh, government, I agree. Your community around you does need your, your opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly right. it does. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and change gears a little bit. Let's sure. talk a little bit about the presidency itself. Sure. history around this really unique office and and what it means to be a president of the united states and kind of how it all sure how it all came to be so i'm going to ask you a rhetorical question Ooh, my favorite eric yes who do you, who is the first president of the united states uh that's not really that rhetorical that's kind of a known fact isn't it? it's george washington it is up for debate now no it's george washington no it is up for debate he told a lie and he chopped down a cherry tree and he had wooden teeth right <laughs> Actually, yes. we will debunk those myths first. Yes. But um, explain this to me. How was is, how is George Washington considered by some not to be the first president of the United States? Well, no one's going to argue that he was the first president under the Constitution of the United States. But the Constitution of the, gov- the United States was not the first governing document in the United States. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So hmm. we did have, of course, the Articles of, of Confederation for about six years before the current government in the in the Continental Congress as well. Oh, okay. All yes. right. Okay, so the Continental Congress, I'm not going to count because those were concerned British subjects who were in no very organized manner protesting the British crown. And then, and of eventually course... Eventually that led to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Well, it, 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 well actually, it led to the, the resolution for independence first, which was two days earlier. They signed it and said, okay, we all agree. Yes, we are going to... Declare our independence, and then then they declare their independence. Oh, okay. Well, at least so, they agreed to declare it before they declared. Yes, that's important. Yeah, it's always one of those weird things. Whenever you get a group of people together in a legal manner, there's always have to be a resolution first that they sure. okay. We all agree on this, and that's on paper. Okay, good. Now let's decide this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bureaucracy! It's silly, silly. Non-binding resolutions is what they're called. <laughs> oh, nonsense. So anyway, um, and and under the Articles of Confederation. There were eight presidents who were uh, in charge. Hmm. Yes. Uh, and we're going, we're talking about, and I will just run them off for you at rapid speed. Uh, and I may mispronounce some of their names, but that's okay. So we have John Hansen, Elias uh, Boudinot, Thomas uh, Mifflin, 
Richard Henry Lee, John Hancock, of course, yep. first president of the Continental Congress, also president under the Articles of Confederation. And the most flamboyant signature on that famous uh, Declaration the of Independence. Big J&H, right? And, of course, a very good investor. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Gorman, Arthur St. Clair, and then Cyrus Griffin was the last one. Huh. He saw it through... Actually, literally until 1789 when Washington, when Washington was, was inaugurated. Or inaugurated, yeah. Now, keep in mind, John Hansen was, I, I use air quotes here, president in uh, 1782. So within six years or seven years, there were eight presidents. So it wasn't a very long title. It wasn't right. as drawn out as our presidency was. It was a largely ceremonial role okay. because the Articles of Confederation gave much more power to states than it did the national government. There, there was, was no, no real federal government at that time. There was none, no, exactly. Each state elected ambassadors to what they called the United States in Congress Assembled. It wasn't right. even formally the Congress. And there was different currencies in different states. It was this very convoluted, again, I use the word convoluted a lot, but it was a very... Convoluted. Convoluted <laughs> system, and it was not, there was no central form of power, right? Right, there was no central standing army. Everyone provided their own militia from own their militia. own state to contribute to the fighting. There wasn't really even a standardized uniform until much later into the Revolutionary War, and that was, you know, hardly even fully adopted by all the folks who were right. fighting. It was during this time that they were like, well, the confederal system isn't working. Let's develop a federal system of government where right. we have a balance between national and state governments and local, of course, uh, governments. And without going into too much detail, because that's a whole, we can go on for a series of podcasts about the formation of the, the Constitution. Right. But that's what gave us our presidents. That's what Correct. led it's to what, the, the office of president. It's what gave us the office of president as an executive power. Yes, as an executive branch. Absolutely. And then that is when we talk about George Washington. And that's why he is considered to most scholars today as still the first president in the way that we conceive of the presidency. Right. Uh, and an interesting guy, Mr. Washington was. A lot of the legends that we have about him, of course, are fake. <laughs> the whole cherry tree thing is just a, a, a folk tale, yeah. right? I'm sure he told a lie. Human beings lie. It just happens. Sure. He was a general in war. I mean, I'm sure there were many times when his troops were debilitated of all strength and hope and Absolutely. gave them a, a sense of belief that they could do what they were doing, even though he himself was probably questioning whether or not they could actually win. Sure. And he was a colonel in the British Army, right, for many yes. years. Mm -hmm. He was appointed general by the Continental Congress. So he was just like, oh, yeah, you can do it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he could. He was a brilliant general. And uh, he was initially somewhat reluctant to accept uh, He was reluctant to accept the title of commander-in-chief. Yeah. Because he was commander-in-chief before he was president. Kind of crazy to think that we had a point in time where the president and the commander-in-chief were two separate people. You know? But eventually they become the same one. Yeah, but that's yeah. also not unlike a lot of governments at that time. The executive power, the king, was never the general, the, the commander-in-chief of the army. That was somebody else. So it was not uncommon. Right. But also, the, the biggest common myth about him is that he had wooden teeth, right? Which he did not. Not a single he grain of wood. He had few teeth. But no. He did not have First of all, wooden teeth, bad idea for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, because, one, splinters, horrible splinters. And that freaking could, wood expands... And contracts. Right. Why would you want that in your, your mouth, mouth against your sensitive gums? Not only that, but it's an aqueous environment, right? So, like, yeah. it, would be, it would be swelling and warping. It's bad news. So, <laughs> very bad news. But what he did have was teeth of ivory and walrus tusk. And apparently lead. And some lead. Of the research I've done and as well. Some lead fillings in there. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and when he was sworn into office, he only had one natural tooth left in his head. Go figure. Poor guy. I mean, that's got to be absolutely 
horrifically painful to, to oh yeah because this, this is the late 18th century where medical science was horrible at this point <laughs> you know <laughs> must have been very much uncomfortable um and i think by the way the john adams movie they did a couple years ago oh, it was so good great great movie and I mean, it talks a lot about John Adams, but it also talks a lot about, with great historical accuracy, yeah. the founding of our country. And they got David Morris, the guy who played Washington, to wear prosthetic teeth. Yeah. And it added a whole other sense of realism because he talked a different way, you know? When I watched that miniseries, when it was on mm-hmm. HBO originally, it was, it really transformed my view of the founding of our country. And it really gave me, because I, I, I had read a lot and I'd seen a lot of... Um, you know, Revolutionary War documentaries, or I'd read a lot about it, and I had a, an imagining of what it was like, but they did it so accurately with such a great uh, degree of research into the actual characters and, and to who these people really were, that it, it really kind of transformed me and sent me to that time. And mm-hmm. um, if you haven't seen it, it's available. I think it's unavailable through download on iTunes, actually, and several other locations. I don't know if it's on Netflix or not, but check it out. It's, it's really very well done, and... Um, it kind of really puts that all into perspective. And the portrayal of Washington that was just such a stoic, very tall, very powerful figure. He was you six know. foot two and 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, Big he, guy. Was, he was some, he was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, considering the time, right? Because at the time, no one was, I think, over six feet. Right. And I mean, it was right on the money, though. I yeah. think it was, I think, you know, as, as best as we can tell, yeah. of course, without actually living in that time. Yeah. And he had a pretty commanding presence. Yeah. I mean, well, it just tight does that, but. And he was also the first president to, or the only president to not live in the White House. Uh, Correct, and Mount the Vernon, only president yeah. to, to not lead the country from Washington, D.C. He led well, it from the original capital yeah, in Pennsylvania. That's true. Well, uh, it was in Philadelphia. Or Philadelphia, excuse yeah, me. Well, Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania, so not, not that far off. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Uh, Mount Vernon, of course, is in Virginia. And um, he did a lot of interesting things. And I think it's really worth noting that he was considered retroactively a Federalist. No, as a political party, but he was actually opposed to the idea of political parties. He refused affiliation when he was in president. What a powerful statement. Yeah, he refused affiliation, and he's the only president in our history who, even by the Electoral College, was elected unanimously. Every single person of the Electoral College is like, yes, Washington. Now, how is that possible? Because at the time, the Electoral College used to cast two votes for president, and it used to be, who two people who do you think would be president? And the vice president was elected based on the second number of votes. Correct. So John Adams came in second, and that's why he was the first vice president. And, of course, John Adams was a very, very important figure in the beginning of our country. You know, he was... Um, huge. Absolutely huge. And he, he played a found, you know uh, a leading role in the Boston Massacre, which a lot of po- people don't even really realize that, uh, you know, this, this time period, he actually represented the, the British soldiers who were on trial. And he was there as a lawman. You know, he wasn't there to be a loyal supporter of the crown. He was there to simply represent the law. And he felt that the the crowd that had gathered uh, in protest of these British soldiers was somewhat unlawful in its assembly. And that the abuse of these soldiers is what actually led to the, the Boston Massacre happening. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those moments in our history where, for the good of our nation, for the good of the cause, it was blown out of proportion. It was a true bit of propaganda. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot that transpired in this that really um, was as terrible and as, as bloody as it was made out to be. It was uh, a couple of shots into the crowd, and there were some deaths involved, but it was it was not what it was eventually blown up to be. 
right. uh, which was just to get the crowds angry and get them furious at the crown. Right. Well, let me just take a second, because I'd like to talk about some of the notable things that happened under Washington's administration. Sure. Because some huge things happened, the things we take for granted, okay? In 1789, his first year in office, he signed the Judiciary Act, which is what established the federal court system. That's a pretty big one. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. So otherwise, there was just the Supreme Court. And he appointed, of course, the first chief justice, John Jay, as any president would do. They have to appoint the, the chief justice when it comes time. He also decided where the nation's capital, the permanent capital, would be. That's why it's named after him, because he was a huge part of the planning process. But he was just, it never got done by the time he was done in office. Under his administration, the post office was established under the United States Post Office. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange was organized. Coins were minted and under the U.S. Mint. Pretty cool. They also had to show diplomacy, too, because in 1793, Britain and, war and France broke out in war. And yeah. because France had supported us in revolution and Britain was the bad guy, well, we had to declare neutrality. It's just, exactly. it, it could have been... Well, we were in no condition to fight. Absolutely. We were, in, we were still in debt, massive amount of debt from the Revolutionary War, thanks to the Dutch, who had yeah. given us a huge loan. Uh, and, of course, the French for giving military aid. And it was the Jay Treaty that John Jay helped craft that was ratified that helped America keep its neutrality and uh, also got any British troops that were in the United States to leave. And I think a really, really big one, too, which is that at this point in time, there were no term limits on any federal office. Right. And Washington, in his infinite wisdom, he felt that two terms was enough. And he very easily could have been... You know, that's quoted in the movie, and I believe it. He very easily could have been president the rest of his life because of how respected he was sure. and how much charisma he had and how much transpersonal power, to quote Deepak Chopra, that, that he had. And, you know, what what a humble thing to say. He said, no, I've, I've done my part. It's time for someone else to take over. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And he died shortly afterwards. He died only three years after he left the presidency. Yeah. So, what a, what an awesome yeah. dude. <laughs> what a great way to start a country. Exactly. His successor. What an interesting story, though. Oh, yeah. I, I love John Adams. You know, he really was, he was very, he, he was is a very a really, important person. Yeah. He was a very important lawmaker. He was, from what we understand, a bit of a blowhard. I mean, he was very full of himself and very sure of himself. And, and very, unfortunately, very unliked by a lot of the politicians in power. Yeah. I mean, with a yeah. personality like that, you really just, you can't help it. You're going to rub people the wrong way. Yeah. And he was an interesting individual as well. I mean, you know, he was the very first one to move into the White House. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. In uh, November of 1800. And, yeah, and he was also the first one to have to assume political um, affiliation, too. He was a Federalist. Correct. Yeah. He was also one of only three presidents uh, who did not attend the inauguration of his successor, which in this case was actually somebody that he had a, a rather interesting relationship with. His, right. It was uh, his vice president. It was Thomas Jefferson. It was Thomas Jefferson. And, uh, the two of them, at this point in their relationship, very rarely saw eye to eye. They had really grown apart due in part to their into their into the politics, really. They had really gotten down to it because they were very much of different mindsets and different opinions. Correct. And it was Thomas Jefferson who would who would lead afterwards, who would take and and uh, come to the presidency afterwards. And Adams after that point, after being beaten by his vice president and former friend, just could not bring himself to attend the inauguration. Along with the fact that, you know, his son had recently passed away as well. And so he was grieving. Percy, was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was in real pain in his life at that point. And so, sure. I mean, it's kind of understandable. But at the same point, it's it's very unfortunate that these two grew apart when they did. Yeah. Eventually, they would reconcile. And it would really be the death of Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife and uh, real confidant and, and very much a... Um, 
a guiding force in his life to to keep him on track and, and help him be the man that he was. Uh, after he, she died, him and Jefferson began to reconcile because Jefferson had also had a wonderful relationship with Abigail over the years. Uh, the two of them were very uh, much friends and confidants during a time period when you know John was appointed as our first ambassador. And, and he was ambassador was to the Netherlands. To Netherlands, who yeah. you know getting that very important money needed to uh, fund the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. It was during that time that uh, Abigail and Jefferson began a friendship with one another that would last uh, even while her husband was at odds with him. That's true. Yeah, indeed. And I think the John Adams movie did a great job of, of illustrating that. Yeah, I think so. And if friendship. you've ever read any of the literature written on the subject and the correspondences that are written between Abigail and John and even Abigail and Thomas, it's really interesting to hear the uh, the relationship develop between this, uh, this interesting yeah. little trifecta. I feel bad for John Adams because he had such a hard time. He had some really tough stakes he was up against. You know, yeah. He was dealing with the forming of political parties in the system. Like you were talking about, he was a Federalist. Jefferson was a Democratic Republican, or just shortened to Republican. The first Republican Party, not the current Republican Party that right, we have. Very different than the current Republican. Very right. different. Very very different. And you know, just the the election of eighteen hundred was so rough because yeah. he w- he he had people who were on in his administration who uh, campaigned against him. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just it was bad business. It really was. And he made some very hard decisions, yeah. and you know, and unfortunately, those decisions are what we remember him for, like the uh, Alien and Sedition Act, probably one of the darker moments in our history. But it was born out of the fact that there was rioting and protesting because of the, the situation going on with England, and it was necessary, unfortunately. Yeah. And at the time, he was in again in a very difficult position. So I'm not going to say it was right, but it was certainly. I wouldn't want to be in that position. No, I would <laughs> not want to either. But it would lead to eventually uh, another founding father becoming our third president of the United States. And that, of course, is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. And he was so cool because, first of all, he had been two other roles before he had been president. He was our first secretary of state. Mm-hmm. And he was our, and he was vice president under John Adams. The thing I find interesting about his presidency under John Adams was that he actually established the parliamentary procedure of what the vice president does. Yeah. Uh, John Adams, to go back for a second when he was vice president was quoted as saying there's no more role as insignificant as the vice president of the united states <laughs> because all, all he literally just sat and read the paper in yeah. in the senate until there was a tie a decision yeah. exactly and the fact that jefferson said well let's figure out something for me to do let's organize a little bit about <laughs> what he does without just having to tie the or cast the the tie-breaking vote was interesting and of course i mean how can we ignore that he was the author of the Declaration of Independence. You Absolutely. Know, we, we can't. He was a major contributor to the Constitution being oh, framed. Of course. Uh, and also the inventor of many uh, many very famous inventions, including the swivel chair. Swivel chair, which we're sitting on right now, actually. The pedometer. Oh, the pedometer? I didn't mm-hmm. know about that one. The, and the also copy machine almost. The copy machine yeah. and the Lazy Susan. Quite possibly <laughs> one of my favorite inventions ever. <laughs> I'm a big uh, fan of the Lazy Susan. My sister, this is a total side note, but my sister made these amazing Lazy Susans uh, that she put together for her for her dinner table that just rotate around all the food that we're going to have for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, that's and smart. it's just going to come to each and every one of us, anything we need, <laughs> those lovely Lazy lazy Susans. That's amazing. And of course, the Louisiana Purchase, right? That yeah, was a huge deal. Expanded more and more of America. I mean, it, it was a huge and very important presidency, and... Even the formation of the Library of Congress is due to Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, and that's why they actually called the search engine Thomas at the LOC website. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, their search engine is called Thomas, yeah. And, you know, honestly, those are my opinion, the three, the big three. 
right? Yeah. The big three who who laid the foundation for what would become the presidency of the United States of America. And everyone who would follow would have their own contributions to add to it all, of course. But they were really, in my opinion, the big three. Definitely. And you know, some of their contributions may not have been intentional. I would say that John Adams set a precedent for a one-term presidents, and there have been 10 of our 43 presidents <laughs> who only served one term, hmm. who could not get re-election. Uh, John Adams is one. John, His son, John Quincy Adams, is another. So is Martin Van Buren. Mm-hmm. Grover Cleveland, technically, though, he was a two one-term president. <laughs> um, Benjamin Harrison, William Howard Taft, Herbert Hoover, Gerald Ford, and Jimmy Carter, and, of course, George H.W. Bush, Correct. the most recent one, yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, wow. 20 years. Ooh, scary. Yeah. Quit dating me. <laughs> I'm not dating you. We haven't even had coffee yet. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Let's change gears a little bit. Sure. So we've talked about the foundation of the presidency. Let's talk about a few other big contributors, because obviously we could not dare ignore Abraham Lincoln, who at that midpoint in our country's birth, from midpoint from now today, of course, was dealing with one heck of a situation. He was dealing with a fractured nation uh, a whole half of the country that decided it wanted to secede from from that nation and form its own presidency and its own laws and rules and regulations um, would eventually lead to the deconstruction of slavery in this country and the reunification, the formation of the, the union, bringing it all back together, not to mention overseeing the largest number of, of deaths of Americans due to any fighting, any war that our country has ever had combined. Uh, it is a... You're referring to the Battle of Gettysburg, of course. Well, that, I mean, there's the Civil, the Civil War in general. general. Just yeah. the, the sheer amount of death, displacement, destruction, and families that were torn asunder by the fact that, you know, asunder. literally... What, a, what, a, what an old school <laughs> word to do. I had to throw it in there. I mean, we're talking yeah. about the Civil War. But literally, you know, brothers were fighting against brothers. Right. And we, uh, we hear that term, but, but it literally but was. But it's so true. Yeah. And it was such a it was such a, a terrible time for this country, and yet Abraham Lincoln oversaw it as as the president of the United States and would lead to some really truly fundamental changes that would have lasting implications even into today. Such as, well, the abolishment of slavery. I mean, it's obviously number one on that list, right? Uh, of course, it would lead to equality for for African Americans and for every quote unquote minority in the United States. Yeah, I believe it was at that point that the whole property ownership requirement was lifted. I believe it was in the Thirteenth Amendment. I mean, it was it was huge, and it would be thanks to to Lincoln that we would see those changes come about, and we'd see a much stronger nation born out of out of the results of all of this. We'd also see the development of a nationwide railway system that was really put into effect due to the fact that it was meant to move around troop transports and supplies to keep the war effort going. But that and the widespread uh, expansion of the telegraph also brought about due to to the implications of the Civil War would lay down a foundation for the Industrial Revolution to have its own flourishment and and growth here in our United States. Uh, It would make us a stronger, wealthier, more powerful nation. Economically, uh, yeah, definitely. All, all due to these horrible underseeings, but thanks to President Lincoln and his, and his foresight to make all of that possible. So who else would you say would meet this list of major contributors? I mean, there was a lot of major contributors, but uh, I feel like if we jumped forward a little bit, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was uh, another very notable president with a lot of important firsts and our longest serving president. 
I mean, serving from 1933 to 1945, he served 13 years in office and was the only president to serve more than two, two terms. consecutive terms. Yeah, he was the only president to even dare to run for a third term, number one. But he actually was crazy enough to, to win. <laughs> yeah, well, the you people know? loved him. And I mean, in my opinion, for all the controversial things that did go on during his presidency, because he was not without his controversy, certainly. Anyone who is of Japanese-American descent knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the internment camps that were created under you know, his, his direct order would, again, have lasting implications even to today. The horrible conditions that these folks were, were kept in and put and in. And these were American citizens. These were American citizens who, you know, were many of which were born in America, had no affiliation or connection to Japan in any way, shape, or form, were treated as second-class citizens and, and thrown yeah. in these camps. The only thing that was different is we weren't killing them. True, but yeah. the sanitary conditions were very poor, and so yeah. we were not creating an environment for them to live either. Yeah. We were creating an environment for them to survive, which is which is not life. Yeah, uh, I feel very passionate about that, as you can no, tell. I hear you. But I, hear you. I feel like even with all of that, he was still a, an incredible president. He really led this country through some of its worst times that it ever had in terms of economic strife yeah. and, and the Great Depression, in I, terms of the Second World War. Yeah, and uh, people compare uh, our current president to him in the sense of the amount of effort that's going in to try to recover the economy. Yeah. Because, you know, people have been talking about this is our worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. I think it's worth noting that a lot of Roosevelt's programs he started were, were good, but if it wasn't for the war, there's a lot of debate over whether we would have actually recovered. Ironically, the war itself and, you know, the munitions that were being made here and, uh, and all of the um, effort that put into the machineries of war that really helped pull us out of the, the economic stupor that we were in, in addition to introducing women into the workplace in uh, a way that had never been seen before in the United States and would lead and have lasting implications because of it. Many women would continue to work in factories and, and take on roles that were traditionally meant for men that were glorified during this time period that were shown in newsreels and shown right. to be... I can't here help but think of Rosie the Riveter, right? Yeah. We can do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. These these icons that have now become symbols of equality for women uh, started as a result of, of Roosevelt's New Deal and, and his expansion into the into the war yeah. effort. And, and I have to mention, being a, an actor, the only president who established a, a federal theater project, uh, <laughs> you know... It just Shocking that Brian took it there. Shocking. <clears throat> FDR was was an interesting gentleman in and of himself too. His his wife Eleanor was also. She was like the template for like first lady being social, you know, being socially active. Yeah. Right. And just being powerful mm-hmm. and strong and confident and having an opinion and being outspoken. Typical characteristics that you you didn't really associate with women in the nineteen four thirties and nineteen forties. Uh, it was something that was a great example for women around the country to see and, and idolize. And it did get her and uh, FDR into trouble sometimes. And the two of them did tend to, uh, to argue with each other. And, and you know, she was, uh, she was a very hot-headed woman herself, so she wouldn't just put up with it. She would fight back. And there's many stories, uh, you know, written of the two of them kind of, you know, not exactly getting along all the time, but... Um, well, he did have a mistress. He probably had more than one, I'm yeah, sure. But he, it's not uncommon at the time, though, for men of power to, to keep yeah, a mistress. Yeah, but he had but, one for... Uh, and in fact, there was this whole debate, because uh, when he died, of course, he died in office just yeah. shortly after being reelected for his fourth term. Fourth term. Yeah, Amazing. who Truman finished out for him. There was the whole debate because the mistress was notified, I think, either was notified before Eleanor yeah. was, oh, or awful. Eleanor found out that the mistress was still, because Roosevelt had told her that he had ended it, 
and he hadn't. Yeah. So yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. What a bad way to end that. <laughs> <laughs> I also find him to be so interesting because here is this person, this this leader of our country, this person who has to take on this persona of strength and power, who he himself was crippled by the debilitating effects of polio. Yeah. Uh, and was confined to a wheelchair the vast majority of his time and. When he did stand and when he did make appearances in public, he was, was aided by br- braces and, and it was in terrible pain. True. And uh, talk about how the media shaped the man, right? Yeah. Because he had polio for years before he even oh, yeah. ran for office. But there was always the perception that he, there's actually a common myth, I think, that he didn't get polio until after he became president. Which is a total fallacy. Yeah. Because we didn't see the imagery of him in the wheelchair until after it was well established yeah. that he was... He was also the very first president to travel outside of the United States while... Well, in office. While in office. Yeah. Well, he uh, kind of had to. With yeah, the whole, it was kind of necessary. With, with Churchill and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Stalin. And Stalin, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, as we get closer and closer to the modern day, we find more and more of these presidents faced with uh, with situations that they had never had never really come up before. Yeah. Um John F. Kennedy, of course. Our first and only Catholic president yeah, to be elected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a really fascinating individual, very much loved by the people, uh, very charismatic, very young uh, at the age of 43 when he was uh, when he was inaugurated. And he's still our youngest president to date. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, though Obama came close, he was by about five years or so. Yeah, I think it was I think Obama was 47. Yeah. Close. Very close. Yeah. But obviously he would be the, the president to challenge the Soviet Union and say, you know what? We're not just going to get the first man into space. We're also going to get the first man to the moon. Right. Now, he failed at the first part. Unfortunately, uh, Yuri Gagarin beat uh, Alan B. Shepard to, uh, to, to space. Uh, but we continued with it, and we weren't just going to let that be enough. And that's when Kennedy came out and said, you know what? We're going to the moon. And for a whole decade, this country came together under the repeated words of, a, of really a single speech that led to so much. Uh, that became what we were as America, our pride, that we as a free nation could go ahead and organize ourselves, put our, bring ourselves together, bring together industry, bring together the economy, bring together all of our politicians to support this cause, and we were going to go to the moon. Yeah. Well, not just that. I mean, he had one of the shortest presidencies. Uh, tragically cut short. Tragically cut short by his assassination. And he was such a force right because he wasn't afraid to do things yeah there's a lot of this feeling that when a president takes office there's a lot of the establishment that he has to deal with that now that he's president i unfortunately have to say he because we've never had a female president but they uh have to deal with all these institutional norms that they can't fight and he kind of just said you know to hell with it and he took on major issues you know he took on the civil rights movement he took on uh, organized crime you know, he was taking on lots of the social problems we were having in this country, more so than communism. I mean, yes, of course, there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and there was this tension between the Soviets to get to the moon. But it wasn't just about that. It was about us as a country, too. You know, he took, he handled both situations. And really, a lot of that actually occurred more in his second and third year in his presidency than in his first, when which was somewhat disastrous due to the Bay of Pigs fiasco. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of questions at that point as to whether or not kennedy could do the job and he came out again and just and just said you know what to hell with it i made a mistake people make mistakes it could have been done a lot better going forward though this is what we're going to do we need to address what's happening in this nation and we need to fix it 
and this is how we're going to do it. And uh, many people believe that that's what got him killed. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. uh, it was a very traumatic time in this nation's history. My mother remembers very clearly the day that JFK was assassinated and that she was in tears. And she was she was pretty young. You know, she was uh, she was in middle school, I think. Yeah. Maybe 10 or 11 years old. But she remembered very clearly Everyone simply stood around in a state of shock and disbelief that nobody could believe it. No one no one could fathom that this has happened. Right. And he certainly wasn't the first president to be assassinated. That that he was, distinction. He was the fourth, unfortunately. But yeah. he was the fourth within a span of a hundred years. Right. That's what I find fascinating. Between Lincoln and Kennedy, it was really only about a hundred uh ninety-eight, ninety-seven years right. where we had four presidents who were assassinated hasn't happened since and hadn't happened before yet either you know sure so it certainly wasn't the norm and it it really took the country by storm it was it, yeah. was, it was it was shocking it was and absolutely shocking going back to those unintentional implications it's because of that that no president has ever ridden in a convertible yeah. since while we're on the subject of assassinations real quick i don't want to derail us but uh i found out an interesting factoid about the secret service so the secret service obviously who's in charge of the protection and well-being of the president and his family have a really interesting history as to their beginnings because it was actually a really fateful day in, in 1865, April 14th, when uh, this desire to have this uh, institution brought into existence was signed and, and placed on the desk of a president. And later that night, he was assassinated. Oh, uh, irony. Yeah. yeah. Abraham Lincoln signed into existence the Secret Service the day that he was killed. And it actually wouldn't be until 1901 that they were put in charge of the protection and well-being of the of the president after the assassination of William McKinley. Yeah. Uh, before that, they were actually created uh, as part of the Department of the Treasury for <laughs> finding out and sniffing out counterfeit money and, and dealing with all that uh, as kind of a, an aid to the U.S. Marshals. But eventually they were repurposed. I would like to, to switch gears here now, too. And with some trivia, if we could, unless there's something else that you wanted to go over. Is there anything we I mean, missed? certainly I want to acknowledge that <clears throat> there were other presidents that we didn't really get to that were also big contributors, right? Like, so uh, Richard Nixon, arguably one of the most controversial presidencies Only uh, president ever. to resign office. Yep. Resigned before he was impeached. Uh, and he would have been if he had stayed alone. Oh, absolutely. He would have been. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a whole topic for a whole other show. We can yeah. go into Watergate into great detail. Uh, so for now, I'll just leave it up to you listeners who aren't familiar with the details surrounding uh the presidency of Richard Nixon. Do a little research on your own. There's a lot of information out there about it. There's actually a really great movie called Frost Nixon that uh, that sheds a lot of insight into into the whole controversies. Yeah, uh, which was Watergate. actually an adaptation of a play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yep. Uh, and then straight up through until Ronald Reagan, who was our oldest uh, individual elected to president. He was 69. Um, he was also the only president to have come from California. Oh, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. Actually, he Nixon. Was the governor of California, yeah, wasn't he? Nixon actually was the only president to be born in California. Oh, sorry. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're right, but uh, he was previously governor. He was born governor. in Illinois, wasn't he? I think he was born in, yeah, yeah, I think he was born in Illinois. Yeah, yeah, but I got confused, correct, because he said he was governor, right? And, of course, well, Barack Obama, who is our very first African-American president huge. in history. Definitely. Absolutely huge. Uh, also first president born in, in Hawaii. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I just wanted to shout out a couple quick ones before we before we ended this but you wanted to end this uh with a little little trivia right i did i did and i've actually gone over uh, a lot of them throughout just the, the process throughout the process of us going through this whole episode i will say though that i find interesting pretty much our first eight presidents were all british subjects 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They were all born under, and it wasn't until Andrew, no, even Andrew Jackson, uh, it wasn't until Ben Harrison, who was the first president born in the United States. I think you said that earlier. Just think about that. All the iconic presidents we think of as the founding of this country were British subjects for the majority of their lives. The most common religious affiliation of the presidents, do you know what they are? No. It's Episcopalian. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Followed very nearly by Presbyterian. Uh, yeah, I was going to say the Presbyterians yeah. would make most sense, right? And who knows? We may even have a, a Mormon as president. It's, this, it's, it's possible. Yeah. It, exactly. Uh, I will say that I find also interesting, going back to the founding fathers, that John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe all died on July 4th. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not all at the same time, though. Jefferson and right. Adams did die within hours of one another. They did. Yeah. Which made uh, John Adams' last words rather inaccurate, sadly. Yeah. He said, Jefferson survives, whereas mm-hmm. Jefferson actually died about three hours before he did. Yeah. Too and, bad. And Jefferson was interesting in that he was one of the only presidents to write his own epitaph. And he didn't... Didn't mention being a president at all, didn't he? Nope. Yeah. He didn't. 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 I, w- I would have liked to have met him. Yeah, interesting guy. If I if I could sit down with like five people from history, he'd definitely be near the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, he was the only guy I know of who had a, uh, the copy of the Quran. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, from around that period of time in the United States. And um, fourteen presidents have been vice presidents. Uh, those would be John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Martin Van Buren, John Tyler, Millard Fillmore, Andrew Johnson, uh, Chester A. Arthur, Teddy Roosevelt, the vice president under McKinley. Um, Calvin Coolidge, who, by the way, is the only president born on the 4th of July. So, yes, the song, right? George M. Cohen, born on the 4th of July. No? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't uh, about Coolidge, was it? No, it wasn't about Coolidge. Oh. No, 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 <laughs> I was no, going to say, hold no, on. No, 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 that precedes Coolidge. <laughs> uh, Coolidge was uh, life imitating art. <laughs> uh, or not really, but, you know, what to hell with it. Uh, <laughs> Truman was also, of course, a vice president. He was Roosevelt's fourth vice president. <laughs> he had pretty much a different president, vice president for each term. Nixon was the vice president under Eisenhower, and uh, Lyndon Johnson, yeah. Gerald Ford, and George H.W. Bush was vice president under... Under Ronald Reagan, right? Under Ronald yeah. Reagan, yeah. And you already mentioned that Reagan was 69 when he was inaugurated as, yeah. the, as the president uh, the first time. So, oldest president we have. Lots of interesting things, little factoids. And, you know, of all these presidents, it's impossible for everyone to recognize every single name that maybe we have we have shouted off and there's a few presidents that are just kind of who what yeah they didn't really do that was much. A president right but they were there and you know we got a couple little factoids for these individuals and i have to say that william henry harrison has got to be my favorite out of all of these and it's so sad but you know what it was his own damn you know, he was he was kind of like our first presidential dumbass <laughs> let's just let's <laughs> he just was let's... our first you know what he was it was the first presidential darwin award <laughs> there you go. so for those of you who are not familiar uh william henry harrison was our ninth president and he was the shortest serving president yeah. in history he'd also by the way massacred a bunch of native americans uh in one of the earlier wars in our country so he had a because of that, he also had a stainless reputation yeah, inside okay. of the military. But this guy, during his inaugural speech, drones on for, what was it, like three Three and hours? a half hours. Three yeah. and a half hours in March in absolutely terrible weather. It was raining. Yeah. It was really nasty. Or maybe it was even snowing. I don't remember all the details. But it was, it was horrid weather. And the dumbass goes ahead and catches pneumonia. <laughs> And he dies a month later after only serving in the presidency for a month. Yeah. Way to go. 
<laughs> exactly. He most of his presidency was spent, I think, being ill. Important thing to talk about that, I think, though, because the president who proceeded after him, which was I believe it was John Tyler. John Tyler. He set the precedent for what happens when a president dies in office. Because at that point in time, there was nothing in the Constitution that said the vice president shall become the president. It was more implied that he would act as the president. Yeah. But he said, no, I am the president of the United States. He would fulfill that term. He just took over. He just took over. And that set the precedent. And of course, later on. It was ratified, right? It was ratified decades later in, you know, in the 20th century. But one other thing I found interesting, speaking of inaugural speeches, Franklin Pierce, who -hmm. was president from 1853 to 1857, he memorized his entire inaugural speech, and it was 3,319 words. Oh, my goodness. He memorized it? He memorized it. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if he had some old It could be done. It could be done. Speaking as an actor, it can be done. All right, fine. It's hard. I mean, that'd be a very long... Maybe he wrote it in verse. I don't know. How about good old James Buchanan? Uh, the arguably, only arguably the worst president <laughs> in history because he did a lot of things that led to the Civil War. Oh, thanks, James. Yeah. Uh, also, the only bachelor in the only White bachelor. House. His niece was considered the first lady, air quotes, even though the title was not really there. So well, kind of creepy. Oh, well, because keep in mind, first lady does not imply wife of the United States. That's true. A president. That's true. It's the hostess of the White House. Right. And there have been a couple times when the first lady was not the wife of the president. You know, I believe one of the presidents' mothers was considered the first lady. It's happened. There you go. Indeed, it has happened. Anything else? Any other special trivia? Oh, I found this interesting. Uh, Rutherford, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, who was our 19th president. And again, the longest beard president. The longest bearded president. <laughs> His wife, Lucy, was the first first lady to graduate from college. Interesting. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. A good portion of our presidents have not had a formalized education. The big ones, of course, Washington and Lincoln, they were self-educated. There's been a number of others beside those, but a lot of the early presidents did not have a college education at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's a a silly one. Uh, James A. Garfield was our very first left-handed president. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, And Chester A. Arthur. We were talking about him earlier because we both looked at each other and said, who? I knew him, but like, I just knew him because he rocked the Franz Josef, you know, (laughs) mustache. You know, that's, that's for those who don't know, that's the mutton chops that connect to the mustache thing. You know, he had that. (laughs) He had that. But besides his arguably awesome facial hair, he was also, as a lawyer before becoming president, defended uh, a black woman who had been abused on a streetcar. Oh, really? So he just kind of, he kind of threw himself out there and, uh. And kind of championed for integration of all peoples being transported on, on streetcars. Who knew? Hmm. Who knew? Who knew, in, indeed. Anything else? I think that's it. I think that's all I got. Okay, cool. I remember some rumor about William Howard Taft dying in a bathtub, but I don't think that's true, is it? No, that's not true. But though I will mention that he was the first, actually, he was the only president to have served as both the president of the United States and as the chief justice of the United States. Yeah. Uh, a rare honor that you get to serve two national offices. And he was huge, too. He was like six foot two and 300 and something oh, yeah. pounds. He was a huge massive, guy. Massive guy. Really big guy. Indeed. Well, sir, we have come to the uh, to the end, as they say. And guys, as you listen to this, well, we are on the cusp of a historical election. We are either about to have the first African-American president be reelected to office, or you're about to have the first Mormon president. So... I think even if you choose not to vote in this election, I find it's really important for us to to really remember how interesting and how uh, sometimes how absurd this role has become and the weird little things we've noticed uh, about the president over the years. Um, I forgot to mention one that uh, Thomas Jefferson 
uh, was the first president to shake hands because it was commonplace to bow in the presence of the president. I think beforehand. it was actually uh, Washington who kind of set that uh, yeah. initially. Yeah. Yeah. And like we're factoids like Adams actually wanted the president to be uh, addressed as your highness, Mr. President. Um, <laughs> weird things like that. And what I hope this has done has inspired you guys to want to learn more about who has led us in the past. And really use it to help educate yourself to decide who's going to lead us in the future. And there is a wonderful play that if it is being performed anywhere near you, please go and see it. Uh, It is called 43 Plays for 43 Presidents, and it is, or actually 44 Plays for 44 Presidents now. And they actually do two different presidencies for Glover Cleveland. Oh, that's funny. With two different actors or the same actor? Same actor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think he goes away and then he comes back on stage. It's pretty funny. (laughs) So they do each play is like a five to ten minute bit about that president. And uh, it is the only play I know of that is still actively being revised. And if you can see it, please, because it is a fascinating look into the strengths and a lot of the weaknesses of our former commanders in chiefs. So Interesting. Well, I'm definitely yeah. going to check it out if I can get a chance. Definitely. Eric, I think I'm going to give it to you. You know, don't take our word for it. Uh, go out there, read a book, go online. However you want to ingest this information, find it. It's out there. And you know what? If we've gotten something wrong, because, hey... Uh, I'm certainly not an expert on American history, but uh, we would love to hear your opinions, your thoughts. If you have any interesting factoids about presidents, go ahead and post them on our Facebook page. Uh, While you're there, don't forget to like us as well. Uh, We always love to hear from you guys. And you can also find us on Twitter, at Nerdonomy. Uh, Go ahead and uh, give us a tweet. And you know what? This has been a, a wonderful episode. Thank you so much, Brian. And good night. Good night.